James chapter 5. We're going to read verses 19 and 20. It's the last two verses of the book. Give you a little bit of time to get there. Are you there, Bojo? I'm here. You didn't say amen. Amen. Thank you. Are we preaching on James 5 today? <laughs> if not, we're not going in order. <laughs> I have not heard enough amens. Amen. Like, I need y'all to understand. I'm not going to start until I hear amens. Amen? amen? Awesome. All right, here we go. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you. So excited about today, God, to get the opportunity to preach with my brother. Um, Father, I just want to thank you for the last two years of this church. Um, Bojo has been there every step of the way, like so many others in this church. Um, but he's known me for a long time, and uh, he has seen the He's seen the great times with me. He's seen some hard times with me. Father, I just thank you for putting people like him and, and Tiffany on our path. Um, I, I remember the first time I met him, you wouldn't leave me alone about him. Um, in that moment, I knew that we would be able to do this together. And God, I just thank you for this past week, the opportunity that everybody got to spend with family. Father, I just pray that Memories were made, and that, uh, that we grasp hold of those. We don't let them go. We build legacies through that. Father, I want to pray for our country. It seems like every day that I even think about looking at the news, it just gets worse and worse. God, I ask that your presence be apparent in our White House, in our governor's homes, throughout this world. Father, I claim your presence in those areas. I just ask that our leaders look towards you for decisions. I ask that they pray before every decision. Father, I said this the other day to somebody and they told me that was impossible, but I don't think they understand that nothing's impossible without you. Father, I claim that you touch the hearts of so many in leadership. Father, in this moment, you've given myself and Bojo your word to give. And God, I just ask that you anoint us me and my brother both, from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet, that you take all pride, anger, distraction, doubt, anything that may be standing in the way of your word. Father, I ask that you take it away from us, you replace it with your love, your wisdom, your grace, and your mercy. Allow us to give your word today, Father. Claim all these things in your name. Help us to love, laugh, and forgive. Amen. Amen. I got to get tissue, man. Yeah, you're good. Sorry. All right. Last week, we discussed the second half of James chapter 4. Uh, this is where James talked about uh, how we as the church should never try to play the role of God and judge others. That will also be discussed again today. James always repeats himself. I love that. That means it's important, by the way, guys. Anytime you're reading and this word continues to be repeated and repeated, or you have somebody that's writing that book that repeats certain quotes and so forth, it's very important. Okay, make sure that you grab that. Make sure that you really start studying it when you start to see things repeated. He again stressed the importance of uh, fleeing from all jealousy. 
and uh, how this is the main thing that can destroy a church. And last, he made sure to put an emphasis on how we need to understand how short our earthly lives are here. Okay? It said last week that our lives on this earth are like a vapor, right? It's very important that we understand that, especially going into chapter 5 today. This week, again, we're going to finish up with chapter 5. Guys, I, tell you, I wanted to start with this story, and I kind of struggled with it. I had to go to a lot of different areas to get some facts on this. So I'm going to be brutally honest with you. The story that I'm about to give, I'm going to say is probably 90% accurate. Okay? And the only reason why I say that is because you never know what the media puts out there. But I'm going to say 10% of it may not be 100% accurate. So if you're related to any of these people that I'm about to mention, I apologize. Okay? In 1923, an elite group of men uh, met at a luxury hotel in Chicago. Okay? This was during the Roaring Twenties. Okay? The, the country was great. Economy was great. Everything was booming. Um, but the thing is, these five men that met, they wanted more. There was a lot of greed involved in this meeting. They wanted to figure out how they could take their industries and what they did and make more money for themselves. Of these five men, one was Charles Schwab. He was the owner and operator of a large steel corporation. A lot of people know that name. Richard Whitney, he was the president of the New York Stock Exchange at that time. Albert Fall, he was the Secretary of Interior under President Harding. Jesse Livermore, he was a Wall Street tycoon. Uh, Ivar Kruger, he was the head of a global monopoly of match manufacturers. This elite group of men controlled more money than the U.S. Treasury at that time. You would think that these men coming together would be great role models of the entrepreneurial world and set an amazing example for financial success for our country. Instead, I want you to fast forward 20 years later. So this is in the 40s. Charles Schwab died $300,000 in debt. Whitney served time in prison for embezzlement. Mr. Fall served time for misconduct in the office of the United States. Livermore committed suicide, describing himself as a failure. Kruger shot himself after his global monopoly collapsed. Guys, what I need you to understand is underneath the rubble of bad decisions and defeat, these men died in a depressing and embarrassing condition. Their wealth and power on earth did nothing to soothe their anxiety and guilt they suffered in life. We need to learn from these men. It's not intelligence and hard work that will take you to the next level. That might make you wealthy on this earth. But it takes God-given wisdom and humility to manage wealth and the influence that you have on the world. These five men, I have no doubt, at one point in their lives were very successful, obviously. But this is what greed and jealousy will do. Pride is the beginning of all destruction. That's in Proverbs. These five men met in a meeting it was a very prideful meeting, and destruction came after. This is what James is going to be talking about here at the beginning of chapter 5. Let's go to James chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you, 
and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, what James is saying here is all the monetary wealth that you gained on this earth means nothing to God in heaven. James is really, he's talking about heaven here, and I'm going to tell you how I know that. The reason I know that is because I'm a jeweler, okay? Gold and silver does not corrode. It does not corrode on earth. It's impossible. It does not, it's not affected by oxygen whatsoever. So what I'm trying to get at is, is the only way that your gold and silver is going to corrode when you die and you try to take it with you is in heaven. Because here's the thing, there is no oxygen in heaven. That's what this is telling me. Why would there be God is the source of our life? We don't need that in heaven. So what he's telling us is, is all this wealth that you want to take with you, when you get there, it's not going to be with you. It's going to be corroded before you even get to the gate. Before you're judged, you won't have that. Those nice clothes that you have will be corroded. They'll be gone, moth-eaten. You know, I don't understand moth-eaten, by the way. You ever had a moth-eaten clothes? Like, I don't, I've never had that. No. Now, Amanda got a lot of clothes. She might have something like that. But like me, like, you ever been in my closet? Why would I be in your closet? <laughs> Moth can't eat stretchy medium shirts all the time. <laughs> Just shut up and listen. My closet, when you walk in my closet, it's a big old closet, right? It's, it's what we call a walk-in closet. And, and you walk in, and as soon as you walk in, like, you, you see all of Amanda's clothes. And they're just lined up. Yeah, they're still there. They're still there. Oh, there's Micah's corner. And you, and you get over there, and it's literally, it's like two shelves. There's like three shelves below it, and that's her shoes. Like, so that's why I don't have moth-eaten clothes. But anyway, all those clothes my wife has bought, she, she can't take those to heaven. You know, all you ladies, there's no need for y'all to spend that much money on clothes. You can't take it. Amen, men? Amen? Amen, men? Amen. Okay. That's right. Thank you. Let's continue on. Let's go to verses 4 through 6. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers you, excuse me, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Okay. James is rebuking the rich because of how they treated themselves over others. Uh, you know, I remember when COVID hit, and, and Dylan's here today. I don't know if anybody else is. Dylan, my store manager's here, and he'll remember this. Um, in March of 2020, I got a phone call that I had to close the Texarkana store down. The next day, I got on the road and I went to our Gilmer location. While I was there, we got a phone call. We had to close it down. The day after that, I drove to Marshall. On my way home, I got the phone call that it was shutting down. So three days in a row. I'll never forget getting home that night. It was the first time in my life since I was 15 that I was unemployed. I had no job. I didn't know what to do. But I'll tell you one thing. We weren't about to let people go that worked for us. We were going to do everything we could. Me and Amanda sat down that night, and we talked about it. We were going to do everything we could to make sure that our employees and their families were taken care of as well. If that means we needed to go without, that's what we would do. 
That's what I feel James is trying to describe here. I think that the man that he's trying to talk about, the sinner that he's trying to talk about, are these rich people who have no morals. And basically, in that situation, they would have fired everybody and just kept all the money to themselves. I need you to understand there's nothing wrong with being rich. Okay? In fact, I'd love to be a rich man. Wouldn't bother me one bit. But there's a problem when your money is reflecting who you are and it's not good. You understand? You can tell a lot about somebody by the way they spend their money. You tell a lot about people. If you watch the way they spend their money, if they're buying, you know, fancy vehicles and they're, you know, and, and their kids are riding around in a, you know, I don't know, we'll say a, you know, 2001 Grandma Lexus that's sitting out there, you know, something like that you'll see that that person really doesn't have their priorities straight. What James is trying to teach us is, it's okay to be rich. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's spend our money from our hearts. Let's not spend it by, you know, the, the personal things that we want all the time. That's, that's not the direction to go. No selfishness needs to be involved there. I need you to understand, James is not, uh, he's not condemning, again, the rich people only the ones who are poor in spirit. That's what I was trying to get at. I'm glad I wrote that in my notes. That sounds a lot better than what I just tried to say. There are some rich who are rich in spirit. Those are the great ones. That's the ones that we want to be. In these six verses that I just read, James condemns the rich, uh, but the poor in the spirit, for four reasons. Number one was the guilt of hoarding their riches. Number two, guilt of cheating others. Number three, guilt of selfish lifestyles. And then number four, guilt of taking advantage of the righteous. That's a big problem. You see a lot of that again. And that's what these five men, I feel a lot of those five men were doing, is they were taking advantage of those righteous people. Do you guys know anybody like this? And if you are one, you need to straighten yourself out. And I need you to dig really deep and really look at that, especially you business owners. Really think about that. Am I selfish with my money? Or am I giving it to the employees the way that they deserve? James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. Who's he talking to? church thank you brothers and sisters until the lord's coming see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains you too be patient and stand firm because the lord's coming is near let's go ahead and go to five and ten or excuse me nine and ten don't grumble about each other brothers and sisters or you will be judged for look the judge is standing at the door for examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Okay. Tell you what. Nick, go ahead and go to 11 and 12. I'm going to read this out. We give greater honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no 
so that you will not sin and be condemned. Okay, I want to stop. I want to go back real quick. I want to read just the top verse here. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. Under suffering, excuse me. For instance, we all know the story about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Okay, if you go back just a couple verses, it talks about be patient because the Lord is coming. That's what it says. Be patient because the Lord is coming. First of all, I don't like it when anybody tells me to be patient. Like, I don't like that. Like, that's already, like, a jab. Like, I want to like, break the jaw when somebody walks up and says, be patient. Like, that's not what I want to hear. Even though I'm really, I'm a very patient person, you know, really, really patient, like, I still don't want to hear that, right? But be patient and wait on the Lord to come. Well, what are we supposed to do while we're waiting? I mean, we're talking, he's talking to people 2,000 years ago, Right? So that's a long time. So what are we supposed to do? James gives a great example of that here. He says two people, there's two people that he mentions, and that's farmers and that's prophets. This is who you need to be like. You need to work like a farmer and you need to witness like a prophet. While we're waiting on the Lord to come, you need to do one of those two things. Either be a worker or a witness. That's your two choices at all times. That's the direction you need to go. I want to chime in on that if that's okay with the worker and the witness. I like that where it says be patient uh, at the end of verse 8. <clears throat> and then coming into verse 9, it says the judge is standing at the door. Almost about being patient. Uh, Jesus is not going to knock the door down. In Revelation 3, verse 20, it says, Here I am. This is in red. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. God's not going to kick the door down. You have got to invite him in. Uh, and I know me personally, in today's society, how things change. I don't know that I would have answered the door for Jesus. I'm an 80s baby. It's a big difference between how we answer the door now and how we do back then. I mean, the whole family went to the front door. We made sure the living room was cleaned up and tidy. You know, in 2021, when the doorbell rings, you're like, did you invite anybody over? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you're standing. My daughter climbs up in the couch, and she's like, check the ring. <laughs> check the doorbell. I mean, so think of it that way. We still have to invite him in. So when it says the judge is standing at the door, you're going to be judged. The thing is, you can either die in your sin or die to your sin. That's if good. you invite him in, sin is gone. That's good. Very good. When he talks about Job, guys, most of y'all know the story about Job, but I want to tell you a little bit of what I get from that. I actually wrote some note down. I, I read that story again yesterday. Um, again, most of y'all know that story, but this is a man who obviously had everything. God had blessed him tremendously, but he was a very humble man. He was the one that was rich, but also rich in spirit, right? He was a great guy. Satan comes to God, and he says, the only reason why he's this great guy and he praises you all the time is because you've given him everything. So God allowed Satan to step in. Satan took everything away. Job continues on on that path of, I'm going to continue to praise God and love God. And God, most of y'all know the story again, blessed him with even more by the time it was over. What that story is, though, the theme of the book of Job is not suffering. The theme is actually a question to all of us Christians. Is God worthy of your worship apart from the gifts he gives? Mm. 
Think about that. Soak that in. If you're not receiving gifts, are you still giving worship? If a gift is taken away, are you still giving worship? I know it's hard. Listen, I'm not going to sit up here and say that there's not times I struggle with that. I struggle with that a lot. But I will say I've gotten better on the side of when things start to go south, instead of moping around and, you know, just crying and sobbing in those situations, step up and start worshiping him. Even in moments like that, worship him. Again, the gifts that he'll give after, it's amazing. It's amazing. Don't just worship when you're receiving the gifts. At the end where it says, just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. And actually right before that, I need you to check where it says, but most of all. Guys, that's kind of important. When, <laughs> when somebody writing one of these books says, but most of all, that's something, oh, crud. And it's the end of the chapter, by the way. Like, it's kind of important. My brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Don't bring God into your own selfish circumstances to validate your prideful commitments and comments. For example, I swear by God, I'm not lying. Before God, I'll do this. As God is my witness, this will happen. Guys, you're not God, so don't try to act like him. Okay? You can't stop his will. Don't, don't try to be like God just for your own selfish approval. And there's a lot of people that do that. And I know y'all know who I'm talking about. There's a lot of people that do that. You can't ask God to come in and correct the mistakes that you've made unless it's his will. Guys, just always ask for his will. And that's what James is talking about right here at the end. And then just say a simple yes or no. Keep it simple. The more you talk, the more chance you have to get into trouble. Think about it. Most of the answers that you get from God are very short and to the point. I want you to think about that. Stay quiet, sit back, and let God work out his purpose and not yours. I want to finish with this part, and then I'm going to let Bojo take over. But <laughs> how many times when you were a kid, you did something wrong, and your mama walks up to you, and she says, did you do this? And, and you start thinking of lies and everything else that comes in your head. And instead of just saying no and walking away, you're like, no, but... And the next thing you know, you've talked yourself into a trap that you can't get out of. That's what James is talking about here. No, he's not saying, not, he's not saying lie. Y'all, I hope y'all get this part of the story I'm trying to tell. Like, man, this pastor is butchering this. But just keep in mind, God wants you to be simple and to the point. And again, I want you to really think about it. When you pray to God, how often do you sit there and he has a very long conversation with you? I mean, I don't know about y'all, but most of the time when I sit down and talk to God, it's two or three, you know, word question, I mean, answers that, that pop back. It's nothing long. It's a simple answer. 99% of our conversations, I'm the one doing the talking. Whenever we're struggling and we're going through situations and when we have hard decisions that we have to make, be sure and remember that. Sometimes there's no reason to elaborate. Just a yes or no and stand firm on it. Amen? Grab a pen and paper and write this down. I'm getting this in now because I know you won't let me. I'm going to get it in. Go ahead, Nick. When you suffer, don't swear. Turn to God in prayer. A little rhyme, you know. Worked hard on that one. 
I really didn't. I picked that up somewhere. I'm not going to lie. I think some pastor said that or something. But it was in my notes. It's been there for two years. It's something worth it. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you keep notes for two years? Yes. Okay. Did you, do you have any of that today? Um, not from two years ago, no. Uh, I got a lot of this the first four weeks you were preaching James 1 through 4. I told yeah. you I was taking notes the whole time in yeah, 5. I believe that. All right. Well, you, yeah. re- you done? Get it. All right. Here it's we go. It's all you, man. <clears throat> um, so the first four chapters I got with him a couple of weeks ago, and I said, man, there's this one word that keeps popping up, popping up, popping up through the first four chapters of James, and I got the word gentleness. Um, and so actually, I'm actually going to end at the very end with gentleness, uh, but we got some stuff to get through, so get, uh, just be patient with me for just a minute. We're going to pick up uh, in James 5, 13, um, and these first couple verses, uh, again, one word that I get out of all this is just simple. It's the word faith. So James 5, 13 says, is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He shall call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Uh, And even on down in uh, verse 17 where it talks about Elijah. uh, For those that don't know, Elijah was a prophet that did a bunch of miracles. He had a successor named Elisha. Uh, Elijah was even called up in a whirlwind of fire and chariots. Uh, But in verse 17, it simply says Elijah was a man just like us. That prayer produced in faith is just as powerful as a prophet's. That's what I took out of that. Yeah, that's good. Um, And you had something on the elders. I did, yeah. Guys, I need to point this out to you. But when it says, is anyone among you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, some of y'all are new to this church. Some of y'all may read this and think it's the weirdest thing in the world. Okay? I'm going to break this down a little bit. That is as normal as normal gets. And we will never shy away from that. I can't tell you how many times, in fact, just here recently, I've anointed my child with oil and prayed over my child. Now, listen, that doesn't mean, you know, you throw them in a bathtub full of olive oil. I mean, you put a little on the forehead or you can do it however you feel fit. Because here's the thing, the healing's not in the oil. The oil is just obedience. Because that's what it tells us to do. But one of the main points I need you to get from this, because I've had people that have said this to me before. They were at a church and they were sick. We'll just say maybe going through cancer. And they got upset because the elders never came to them to pray over them or anoint them with oil. If anyone among you is sick, let them call on the elders. Guys, the reason the elders don't come to you, which are pastors and elders, we're being obedient. Y'all have to come to us. Now, we can go to you all day long. And listen, I will. I'll come pray over you all day long. But if you want to do it in the order that God's put in front of us, you come to us. It takes at the bottom. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Us elders, pastors, we'll pray over you all day long and have all kinds of faith now. I'm talking about crazy faith. But it takes you coming to us. That step is huge. Y'all understand that? Awesome.
That's a step out of obedience. So faith, let's go back to basics. Um, it says prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. So two questions. What is faith? How do you obtain it? First question, what is faith? Go ahead, Nick. Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Believing is seeing. Seeing is not believing. Faith is such a, <clears throat> such a big part of our walk, and it's just so simple. We try to make too much out of it, and we end up getting crossed up about how can I do this? How can I, what can I do? What can I say? How much can I pray? All about I, 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 instead of he, 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 he. So the second question, how do we obtain it? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So very simple, yet we humanize it, we religionize it, we put it on a bumper sticker, we put it on TikTok, and we make things harder than what it actually is. So moving on to 516, um, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It doesn't say that so that you may walk, so that you may get what you're praying for, so that you may be healed. I'm going to step out on an island here, and uh, I'm going to come into some of y'all's kitchen for a minute, um, where it says, pray for each other, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. If somebody's doing that, what it does not say is that you have to entertain someone justifying their behavior. That's right. Does that make sense? Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another. That's how we grow. You don't have to sit there and entertain someone trying to justify, well, what if I, if I change this or if I live this way or if I did that, then that would make it okay. That's still not right. So for those of you that do know, we are very active, uh, very visible on social media. Uh, we had a gentleman share one of our posts the other day, and Harp took a beating uh, on it. And I've known this man for a long time. I'm very protective of him and Amanda in this church. Uh, I kind of get to be the sergeant of arms of a motorcycle club. You know, I get to do the bad <laughs> stuff that nobody has to know about. I get to send the bad text messages. I get to do the bad stuff. And that's okay. I don't mind being the bad guy. Um, so this gentleman shared a post of Harp. And it was a couple months back when he did the, uh, the message on sexuality. Uh, very difficult message to give, very difficult one to hear. Uh, but the third thing says teach truth, and we're not going to shy away from that. Mm -hmm. uh, so what the gentleman quoted was a 10-second clip. It was very simple, and these are exact words, and I'm going to use air quotes. Harp says, I don't care if you're gay, straight, white, black, Democrat, or Republican, you have a seat in the house of God. Pretty self-explanatory, right? We all believe that, Right? Okay, so this gentleman took it upon himself to say that churches like us were dangerous. You need to beware of churches like this. This is the false invitation that we give. They try to get you in the door, and then they try to change you. <laughs> Congratulations, you cracked the code. <laughs> That's the goal for everybody, is it not? Amen. So why do, we try to, why do we let somebody else try to separate it? He gave an illustration a couple months back that Sadie did of sin and how we look at it compared to how God looks at it. We don't separate it. If somebody else does, that's where we come to the point where you don't have to entertain someone trying to justify the way they live. We want that heart changed for everybody. You cannot meet Jesus, meet God in a way if you're still living in sin. 
So uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, go ahead and pull that up, Nick. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Every time I hear that verse, I think of uh, Paul's conversion. Mm. After that encounter, Paul couldn't go back to being Saul even if he wanted to. Nope. He says in scripture that he was the worst of them all. He killed Christians. He was just a terrible person. Then he goes on to write most of the New Testament. Once you have that encounter with Christ, once you have that heart change, you're supposed to change. That's our job to usher you into that, create those opportunities for you to do that. So um, that's that level of conviction versus condemnation that you talk about all the time. You know, there is no condemnation in Christ. But if you've never been convicted by a church message, I will question the fact if you're listening. So uh, I did. As you know, I struggled with this video. I came to Harp's <laughs> defense real quick, real brash, knee-jerk reaction. Uh, I got to the point where I can't read comments anymore on social media because it makes me angry. Um, my boy, my boy was ready. He was ready to go. I was not I happy. He was ready. I was not happy. Like when he came, when he came to talk to me about it, all I could hear was like, "Eye of the tiger," you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like this dude was ready to rock, man. Can I, think, can I add something to that real quick? Sure. You might, I, one of the things that I do want to point out, and it's funny. Um, in fact, next week I am actually. I, I love that you that you did this, and it just hit me. God has been preparing me to preach a sermon on social media. And I, I think it, it's perfect. We'll, we'll do that next week. So okay. we're going to preach on social media next week. But something else, that, I, that that's not the main point. The main point is this, and I'll talk about this next week. But in case you're not going to be here next week, you need to know this. When Bo came to me, um, crap, I need y'all to know, I was mad too. Like, I wanted to knock this dude out, right? Like, I mean, I know what I was preaching was directly from God. I know that. It was directly from this book. In fact, that sermon, I, I can't tell you how many people reached out to us, and it was so positive. It was probably the most positive sermon, social media-wise, that, that we've preached, the comments that came back. But this one dude, you know, when Bojo came to me, and of course he's hot, and of course I'm hot, you know, like I'm going to knock this dude out. But guys, I need you to understand something. What good would it do? Think about it. And I'm not going to lie, I could break this dude's jaw, okay? Like, your pastor could beat this dude up, all right? Like, I could, I'm telling you. I say that, he might be like Taekwondo or something, you know, like Z, like Z, Z, them videos, but he might be like that dude on that video you played. But what I'm getting at, guys, is it would have done no good. It only would have caused more problems. So here's what we do. We change perspective, Amen. right? Yeah. Um, I guess at the end, what made me the angriest was <clears throat> his platform. We all have a platform, uh, right? Yeah. Whether it's the church, uh, your home, uh, your kid's school, uh, the sticker you fly on the car, the T-shirt we wear in public, uh, that is your platform. What angered me is uh, how he was using his. Um, we have we are responsible for how we manage the platform God has given each, of, each one of us. Um, so <clears throat> this gentleman chose to sow discord and division. Uh, and some of you may even ask, well, now you are too because you're bringing light to it. Well, I can bring light to it. I just don't have to participate in it. That's right. So how we manage the platform that God's given us 
uh, is very vital. So we choose to teach truth. We choose to love on our community. Um, and instead of doing what he did, if he was going to be like us and, and shed positivity instead of discord and distrust, why didn't he say, hey, here's this pastor. Here's the 10-second clip. Why don't y'all go check it out? Why don't y'all see if they back what they say? That would have been the easier thing to do. Instead of millions of followers seeing what he said and just kind of putting up a red flag, let us prove you wrong. Let us show you the love that we talk about, the community that we talk about every Sunday and every Wednesday. Help me prove you wrong. Let me try to prove you wrong. But he's right. At the end of the day, the goal is for everybody to have that heart change. It's got nothing to do with what your sin is. We all want that for everybody. Amen? Amen. All right. So at the conclusion of James 5 uh, is verse 19 and 20. Um, here's where we're going to come back to the word gentleness. So I'm going to read verse 19 first. It says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and, sh and someone should bring him back. I want you to hold on to bring him back for just a minute. So I heard, uh, go to Galatians 1, or 6, 1 real quick, Nick. So brothers and sisters, if someone is caught up in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That word gentleness has been all through James 1 through 4, and it's actually ending here in James 5.19. So the word gently, we use grace and we use truth when we're trying to bring somebody back gently. And there has to be a combination of both. I heard a pastor one time say that grace without truth is meaningless, and truth without grace is just mean. So you have to be able to get to somebody with both. You have to give them grace in what they're doing, but you also have to be able to back it up with the truth. There has to be a balance of both. So uh, how do you gently bring them back? So I'm about to show you how. Matthew spells it out in uh, 18, 15 through 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. But just between the two of you, if they listen, you won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, teach them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's how we tried to break the structure of the church down. I'm sorry, there's a tax collector. I just, every time I see tax uh, collector, I always look at her and go, I'm sorry, I just, I just do. I I'm sorry. <laughs> Can I add something real quick? Yeah, absolutely. To this? Guys, this is why a lot of times when y'all come to me and y'all say, I've got a problem with this person, I always say, Did you go talk to them? Like, I'm not going with you the first time. Go work it out. And one thing I need you to know I mean, like, how do I say this? I hope that all of us in this church can handle it like adults, can handle it like Christian warriors and make sure that it's a mature conversation where pride does not get in the way. Guys, anytime there's a confrontational conversation, I'm going to add this real quick, and I've said it a bunch of times, but make dang sure you check your pride at the door and make sure that you get humbled. Ask for humility before you walk in there, okay? Very important. Again, pride, beginning of all destruction, right? And humility is going to let you recognize that how we approach you is going to be gently. There's going to be grace and truth. If you humble yourself, these conversations, yeah, they're going to be difficult. 
but they're easier for you to see our heart when we approach you with something like this. So the structure of this that I take away from all those verses is you go, if that doesn't work, y'all go, and if that doesn't work, we all go. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, so I'm going to end in verse 20, um, and we're going to, if I go ahead and get the prayer team and the worship team up here, I'm going to read this for a minute, and we're going to try to close this out. Harp took a long time, so we'll try to get y'all out of here. Man, it's good to have you back, brother. Isn't it though? I'll tell you. <laughs> Everybody turn around and give Mike a round of applause. So in James 5, verse 20, it says, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. We are dealing with life and death. Uh, the ways we can speak to life as a hey, we can speak the word get into your word just like 516 says confess our sins to one another and then share our testimonies uh you've heard a couple of the testimonies um harp's testimony you know he's, i have a feeling he probably did a few things that um he's not proud of but his testimony is mostly about the church and how god <laughs> How God led you to start the church and how are you called? You have an associate pastor uh, whose testimony consists of um, drug addiction, alcoholism, uh, sexual immorality, failed marriage, uh, and the list goes on and on. Uh, Zaire spoke a couple weeks ago uh, about the immoralities that he dealt with. Uh, you have an uh, outreach pastor who's a recovering drug addict. You have a guy on the prayer team and his testimony a couple of weeks ago put a pistol in his mouth. That's real life. Amen. That's real life. I know people talk about it. Man, you should come visit, man. It's a real church. It's a real church. And they give you that watered-down gospel. They pat you on the butt and send you on your way. Like Will said, what are you going to do at 2 in the morning when you got a pistol in your mouth? Who are you going to reach out to? If you're sitting in your third-period B-Day English class and, God and the devil's punching you in the face, who are you going to reach out to? You have these people here from the youth team all the way up into leadership. That's the community that we talk about. Uh, the one thing that we all have in common is I look at myself and I say, why has God got me here? Zaire may have asked the same, Mikey the same, Will the same. One answer to that is that at some point, God knew that I would be obedient to what his will, for, what his will in my life was for. Good. I had to be obedient. I had to follow him. So the one thing that we have in common is all of us have had that Saul to Paul conversion that the gentleman in the video that I spoke about try to disclaim, try to say that that wasn't real. This is real church. This is real life. And we want you guys to see that. We visited with a lot of people and the one thing that they have in common is we just love it because it's family oriented and it feels real. So we want that for everybody here. So if anybody's struggling with anything, we're going to have a victory call, which is what we call it here. If you're new here, the altars will be open.